All right. Well, we are going to be looking at the first seven verses this morning in the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 14. And uh, hopefully you've been able to have the time through the week to read the whole chapter of 13 last week, and hopefully you'll uh, take some time this week to read through the whole chapter of 14. And uh, I think Proverbs, one of the things that, one of the reasons why it works, and, and uh, you know, we're doing an annual look at it, but you could do, easily do this every month if you just read a chapter a day. And the idea isn't that, oh, you learn everything in that chapter in that one day. But over time, hearing the Proverbs, reading the Proverbs, thinking about them, uh, they start to work on you. They start to change your way of thinking. They start to change your heart. They're repetitive, you know, and, and I think that's part of the purpose because when you read it again and you read it again and you hear it from a different angle sometimes, uh, it, it works its way into your life. And, and that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today is this idea of life building. How do we build a life? And, and uh, I recognize as I was coming up with this, a lot of you aren't worried about building your lives. You've built your life, uh, but still... It's the idea not of just uh, as a young person starting out or a middle-aged person, how do I finish well, but what is the proper way to build our lives? Even uh, no matter what age we are at, we can always start to or correct to build our life uh, according to the, the best standard there is, and that would be God's standard because he created our lives, he gave us life, and so... Uh, I think there's something in this for us all, no matter where we are at, in life, that, that this is about life building. How do we uh, build a life that is true and better than what we can do on our own? And so we're going to look at the first seven verses. There, it's a pretty short passage today, and we're not going to read through the whole thing. We're going to take it in three chunks. We've got three uh, themes in this passage that go together. So if you would... Uh, Turn in Proverbs with me to chapter 14. Let's look at the first three verses together. And then we'll move on from there. Verse 1 tells us, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will protect them. So in these three verses, what we have is this focus on uh, a contrast between wise and foolish. We don't uh, use the words in the second verse necessarily, but a person who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord. Uh, the beginning of The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so... A wise person is the one who walks in his uprightness and who has an attitude of fear toward the Lord, but one who is devious in his ways despises him, and the fool his heart, there is no God. He, the fool despises God, despises God's wisdom. So the, the focus here is definitely on a contrast between those who are wise and those who are foolish. And that first example, the wise woman builds her house. And I just just think for a minute, that was written before Christ by hundreds of years. 
Solomon, way back when, when women were property in essence, the, a young girl would be her dad's responsibility. She couldn't vow. A woman's vow, a woman's promise had no meaning to it in essence because her dad could negate it and when she got married, her husband could negate it. A man, if he promised something, if he vowed something, he was stuck. But in that culture and in that time, uh, women could not witness things in court. It, you, you had to have uh, two or three men. A woman's testimony didn't stand up. It wasn't good enough. A woman who made a promise, a vow, if her husband negated it, it was gone. And, and similarly, she had very little control over her life. And yet, what does Solomon say? The wise woman builds her house. There's an acknowledgement here that uh, even a person in a situation like a woman was in, in Solomon's time has action, has agency, can build or destroy her household. The, the, the man might be considered the head, but the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one tears it down with her own hands. The woman, the wife, the mother has the ability in that context to either build it, make it good, make it work, or with her own hands, tear it all down, out, out of her own agency, out of her own work. You know, we have uh, cultures today in America, but also mo predominantly overseas in the Middle East, where, where women are still treated this way. My parents had some friends, they were missionaries in a, in a country that was, uh, you know, you didn't mention the country, basically, where they were missionaries. It didn't get named. But on December 25th, the village elders came to this man's house. And so this man had to host the village elders that day. And his wife and I think like four or five daughters, I don't know why you go to a country like this if all you've got is daughters, but that's what the Lord had called them to. So I'm not going to argue with the Lord. It's, he'd have to prove it to me if I had just daughters. And, and he said, hey, go to a place where your daughters and your wife will be treated horribly. They all had to spend the day in the back room. There were such restrictions on, on women and men in this culture. And by the way, it was December the 25th, which didn't matter much to the village elders, but I think it probably mattered just a little bit to the daughters, you know. And they were stuck in the back room as he hosted these men. And, and the way they were treated, they could not go out in public unless they were accompanied. That kind of stuff still happens. And yet in that environment where it seems like women are powerless, women still have a certain amount of power and control and influence. Uh, oh, the wise woman builds her house. The wise woman, through her actions, through her thoughts, through her interaction with her husband and her response to him, can build her house, make something good of it. And this was at a time when a woman, you know, it wasn't love. It wasn't, oh, he was so strapping and so, so uh, handsome. And, and no, it was my dad paid years ago when I was little and now I'm stuck. Except they probably didn't look at it that way. But from our viewpoint, that's how we would look at it. And in that environment, the wise woman can, through her agency and her actions, build her house. But if she's foolish, 
She can destroy it. She can, she can demolish it. She can make it a shambles with her own hands. In a similar way, in verse 3, in the mouth of the foolish is, is, NAS says, a rod for his back. Now that sounds like when he speaks things, he is foolish, and in his speech, he is basically bringing discipline on himself. He, he is bringing punishment on himself because he has a rod for his back. But those words, that, that word for rod is only used in this place for that. It, this word for rod is only in the Bible twice. And it's not in Psalm 23. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or your staff and your rod, they comfort me. That, that's not where this is from. The shoot of Jesse. That's the only other place where this word is. And it's the idea of a, a stick or a branch. You know, the, the, the branch of Jesse, the shoot of Jesse. And so what does it mean in the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back? And that word back doesn't mean his physical back. It's a verb. It means, um, or well, it is a, it's a noun. It means majesty or pride or arrogance. But it comes from the verb to rise up or to be exalted. So it sounds like it's talking about there's punishment for him, the way it's translated. But maybe a better way of understanding it is that in the, in the mouth of a fool, of the foolish, is a, a, uh, a rod or a stiffening of arrogance. That he would rise up, that he would be uh, branched out in arrogance. The idea is that he, he lifts up and becomes stiff. And, and so now that brings punishment as well, but it's less the idea of punishment and more the idea that, that it exposes the fool. That it is arrogance that comes out. And we've all been around somebody who thinks they know stuff, right? And, and they're foolish and they speak and their arrogance, it doesn't necessarily punish them, but it becomes evident for all around. We see it, we want to avoid them maybe. But in contrast to that, the lips of the wise will protect them. What, what a wise person says doesn't expose them like the foolish person's words do to their, and expose their arrogance. But a wise person who isn't arrogant but might actually know a thing or two, their words and, and their thoughts about what they're going to say protects them, keeps them from trouble, keeps them from going into things that they shouldn't go into. And, and so in both of these, you've got, you know, you've got the, the woman who builds her house, which is a good thing, versus the one who can tear it down. And then you have the wise man who, who his speech, his lips protect him, contrasted against the fool whose speech exposes him and his arrogance. And, and, and smack dab between those two verses is he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, a person who who has an attitude of fear for the Lord, and, and this is one of those you know which came first kind of thing. Is it that you walk in your uprightness, therefore you fear the Lord? Is it that you fear the Lord, therefore you walk in uprightness? And I don't think that Solomon's trying to say one or the other. It's it's a both and. Uh, a person who fears the Lord is going to walk in uprightness because of the fear of the Lord. They respect the Lord. They they honor Him. They worship Him. They don't want to go against Him. 
So such a person is going to walk in uprightness. But on the other hand, a person who thinks about how do I live my life and I want to live upright according to other people, whether they recognize it or not, they are acting out in the fear of the Lord. As Romans tells us that he has put knowledge of the eternal on our hearts. We know that he is true. We know that he is real. We can choose to ignore him, but down deep, everybody knows God exists. And so the one who walks in his uprightness is the one who is acting in fear of the Lord. But one who is devious in his ways despises him. He doesn't listen to God. He doesn't want to worry about what God's decrees say. He doesn't worry about what is right or wrong in God's eyes. His ways are devious. There's not even a a thought that his ways are right in his own eyes. No, his ways are devious. He's doing whatever it takes to get ahead. And he despises God because of it. There There are more important things than getting ahead or being proven right or being smarter than everybody else. Those are the actions of the foolish. But the wise person is the one who builds in how they live. They're able to work with the situation and build with it. They, they, They don't speak out in rash ways. Their words protect them. And as they go through their life, they go through life in the fear of the Lord. And they walk in uprightness. Their focus is not on how do I get ahead necessarily or what makes me happiest in this moment. Their focus is what is honoring to God? What has God decreed to me? How do I live in such a way that I do not bring dishonor on my Lord? And and so as we're talking about and looking at life building, the, the foundation, if you would, for how do we build our lives? What do we how do we build and what do we build from? What do we start with? The, the first thing is that we would ground your life in the fear of the Lord. And, and whether you're young or old, we still have the opportunity to start today. To ground your life. To, to decide, I'm going to live in such a way that I'm not going to tear down my home with my own hands. But no, I'm going to do what I can to build it. I'm going to walk in uprightness and, and, and seek to to do what God has decreed because I fear the Lord. I have a, a healthy reverence and respect and I don't want to get on the wrong side of Him. And three is the one I, I oh man, you know, that, when I was a kid, there was so much in Proverbs about how you talk and wise people are, are you know, they keep their mouth shut and foolish people just talk, talk, talk. And, and that just hurt, because I, I talk, 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 you know. But truly, in the mouth of the foolish is, is a rod for his back. He's going to expose his arrogance. But the wise, their lips protect them. And if we ground our life in the fear of the Lord, the words that we say, the things that we do, you know, you, you, you pause just a little bit longer. You think just a little bit more when you're thinking about, well, what does God say about this? What is my proper reaction in this situation if I'm going to glorify God? The fool flies off, a, off the handle, right? But the, the wise person just stops for a minute. You know, there, I, I don't do it very often, but I have had times where I've been in a conversation and something has come up and, 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 and I... My first thought wasn't necessarily just to wow the other person with my keen insight, but to actually ask the Lord, okay, God, what would you have me say here? 
doesn't happen often, but I think that's what we're supposed to grow more into. Okay, what, what should I say? What should I do? And if we would ground our lives in the fear of the Lord, we would probably be better off down the stretch. Having grounded your life in the fear of the Lord, verse 4 tells us, and this might seem like what is it doing here in this passage, but uh, verse 4 says, Where no oxen are, the manger is clean. But by much, uh, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. Now, this is a this is a picture story. This is a picture idea for us. So you you, you have a stall, and the manger is the feeding trough. And so the idea is is that if you don't have any oxen, you can have a nice clean feeding trough. Anybody that has ever fed cattle knows that the feeding trough does not stay clean. Uh, There is slobbering, there is snot coming out of the nose, there's all sorts of fun stuff when cattle eat. And that feeding trough will not stay clean. And and so if you don't have any oxen, you can avoid the problem of having to clean out your manger every now and then. Because it will stay clean without any oxen. But, if you have oxen, uh, by their strength, you can obtain much revenue. You can benefit. You can have a harvest if you have the oxen. You can do more if you have them. And, and so what is Solomon telling us here? What he's saying is, is that you have to have a little bit of, a, of an upfront investment in life is what it's talking about. I always, there, there are some translations that don't use manger. They talk about like the stall. And I've always thought, yeah, you know, you don't have to clean out the stall. And if you've ever had livestock where you had to clean out the stall, that's not a fun thing. And so, yeah. And, and if you got them, there's, there's going to be a lot of, they, they produce a lot. You know what I mean? And, and so it would be nice to avoid that. But, but here's the idea that, that Solomon is telling us, is that, uh, yes, where no oxen are, the manger is clean. Maybe you've got smaller animals, they don't, they don't make it as much of a mess. The manger is clean. You don't have to spend the money on the food to feed them. But, if you invest in a little bit of food, if you put the food in the manger, though the manger will become messy, because you will have that problem, yes, But you can take the oxen that you've just fed, you can take them out to your fields, and you can experience a greater harvest because of them. And and the same is true in our lives. If we want to experience some kind of revenue, if we want to experience some kind of a result, well, we have to put some effort in first. We have to invest in it in some way. You you can't expect the, 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 the produce, the the harvest without the investment first. Whether that's in a small scale, you've got to go out and buy the seeds, you've got to buy the fertilizer, you've got to actually do the time and the energy of planting it. You know, the investment isn't everything. Uh, the feed isn't the focus. It doesn't say uh, where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by feeding the oxen. No, it's by the strength of the oxen. The investment comes, but then you actually have to do something with it. You know, we, we could go out and buy seeds, and if we don't plant them, where are we at? We've invested in this. We're going to have a garden. But if we don't plant them, we haven't done anything. You have to have an investment, and then you actually have to work from that investment. And that investment can, can be 
many things. It, it can be money. You, you invest in stocks. You invest in your education. You invest in maybe some new equipment so that you can uh, increase your business. It may be an investment of education that we invest in getting a higher education or getting a degree, maybe just getting training in a new area so that we can expand. Nothing is going to come if you don't make that investment. And I think that's probably something we all can sit there and say, yeah, that, that makes sense. The same is true in our, in our lives, our personal lives. Uh, you have to invest to see a return. You, you have to seek to uh, put into, not just take out of. And that, that's true in the church. You know, we, why do we spend money and energy and effort doing things like arts camp or uh, helping with preteen camp and, and things like that. Why do we spend the money to do those things? We might not see a benefit, but we're hoping for and we're working towards and, and hopefully we use some strength of the oxen to see a harvest, a result in the lives of the people that we're trying to reach. But it it does take some investment. If we all just sit back and say, well, we're expecting something to happen, and we, we never pony up any money to do something, if we never volunteer to uh, take our time and take our energy and put it into practice, well, we could have a pretty clean manger. But that's all you'd have. And that's not the purpose of a manger. A manger's purpose isn't to be clean. Its purpose is to feed the animals so that they can go out and do the work so you can have a harvest. And sometimes it feels like uh, we can kind of get to the point, can't we, sometimes where we just want to keep a clean manger. It's nice. We can talk about the manger. We can point people to it and say, look at how clean that is. I keep that thing clean on a regular basis. But you have to invest to see a return. And, and, and the investment is no guarantee of a return. You have to, you have to take that, that risk. But if you invest in that, if you feed the, the oxen, and you take them out and you put them to work, by the strength of the oxen, by the strength of the oxen, there is much revenue. And so if you, we, we ground our lives in the fear of the Lord, and we invest to see a return. We work. And so a little bit of that idea of invest too, before I move on, is the idea of what do we want to see happen? We have to invest in that of what we want to see happen. It, it, we have to work towards the goal that we are seeking. And so a farmer would invest in putting food in the manger. A blacksmith might not worry about the manger. He needs to invest in something different. But we won't see a return unless we invest first. And so as we go about uh, building that life and investing in, growing in that, in the fear of the Lord, verse 5 changes the focus to, again, back to words that we say, kind of like verse 3 was. Verse 5 tells us a trustworthy witness will not lie, but a false witness utters lies. Literally, a false witness.
darkness breathes lies. It's, it's just as you and I, we breathe air. It comes in, it goes out. We don't even think about it half the time. A false witness, they breathe lies. It's coming and going. They don't even have to think about it. It's just what they do. But a trustworthy witness will not lie. That means a trustworthy witness is focused on making sure that they don't lie. It's not just that they have a practice, but you know, have you ever had to stop even though you weren't trying to deceive somebody and make sure that what you said was true? That you tried to phrase it in such a way so that you could be sure they didn't misunderstand you? you know, that's what a trustworthy witness does. They don't just uh, breathe in and out the words that they're saying, but they're thinking it. And they make sure that what I say to you is, is accurate, is true. Because sometimes we can just taint things a little bit. We're not lying, but we are saying it in a certain point of view that muddies the water and the person on the other side doesn't get the truth. But a trustworthy witness, they're going to think about, how do I say this so that I convey the truth? That I make sure there's no, no question about it. But a false witness, they're not even worried about it. They're just going to breathe lies. Verse 6 tells us a scoffer, and a scoffer is one that mocks things. And, and remember, the, the, we saw this a, a, a while back. A scoffer, it's to make mouths is the word that is translated as scoffer. They, they talk, they laugh, they're boastful about things. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. So they at least make a claim to seeking wisdom. They, they make a, a, a play at seeking wisdom, but because they scoff, they're not really open to receiving wisdom. So they, they seek it, but they don't find it because they're too busy scoffing at it. They're too busy mocking it. They're too busy coming up their own reasons why this doesn't work, that doesn't work. But the, the reality is, and so they, they don't find it, and they think, wow, it's hard to find knowledge. I'm looking for wisdom, but I can't find any. It's so tough to find wisdom. Well, no, what Solomon tells us is that knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. Somebody who's not scoffing at things, somebody who doesn't mock the wisdom that they can hear, the, the truth is, is that most wisdom's pretty simple. We don't like it, and so that's why we make it difficult. But most wisdom, most wisdom is pretty simple. It just usually goes against our plans, our desires, uh, our druthers, and that's why we make knowledge difficult but it's easy to one who has understanding to somebody who is going to discern and understand the words of wisdom knowledge is easy to find and to listen to but it's when we don't want to hear it when we want to keep going our own way we want to we want to have both sides we want to say oh i've sought the wisdom and the wisdom said i'm good that's what a scoffer does and then they say i can't find any but a person who has understanding, who's willing to hear the wisdom and change because of it or accept it and say, I'm not going to bend it to me. I'm going to bend myself to it. It's easy. Because most, most wisdom, most knowledge is fairly cut and dry. It's pretty simple. We just don't like what it says. Then finally in verse 7, Solomon gives us a, a warning and a guidance and in, an in, in action. He says, leave the presence of a fool. Both, both of these two verses prior, a scoffer uh, and a, a false witness, they are fools. 
Somebody who just utters lies, who's not thinking about what they say, and somebody who uh, can't hear wisdom and accept it, but has to mock it or say something about it or adjust it in some way to, to satisfy themselves. What do we do with such people when they're in our lives? Solomon says, leave their presence. Leave the presence of the fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. This has an, uh, uh, the idea of, of who do we surround ourselves with? Who do we allow to influence us? What kind of people are we choosing in our lives to associate with? If we are associating with and are still and staying in the presence of fools, of mockers, of untrustworthy witnesses, false witnesses, we're not going to be able to discern words of knowledge. We're not going to be able to figure out the truth. And, and you, could, you could say that this, the, the words of knowledge here is, is the, the speaking of the fool. Some translations say you will not discern um, knowledge from their lips. You won't hear it from them. Why stay with the fool? Because you're not going to hear anything wise from them. That word words that the NAS has translated here is the same word for the lips of the wise in verse 3. It's, it's, it's a focus on their lips, but it's, it's talking about what they say. And so leave the presence of a fool. We have to decide and choose what kind of people are we going to allow to influence us? And I think part of that is based on what kind of people do we want to be like? If, if, if you want to be a quiet person who is contemplative, who, who is skilled, well, find those kind of people and walk with them and follow them and listen to them and ask them questions. If you want to be a fool... And if you want to throw half your life away, well, then hang out with uh, mockers and hang out with foolish people and hang out with untrustworthy people and liars. And you'll, you'll pick right along and you'll have no problem. Solomon is saying is that as, as we build our lives, as we ground them in the fear of the Lord and, and then choose which way we're going to go, what are we going to invest in? What do I want to see a return in, let me do those things. Let me spend my time, my energy, my money in doing those things that are going to result in what I want to see in my life. And then finally, as I'm doing that, seek wise companions to influence you. Seek wise companions. People that are, you know, they're, they're on the journey ahead of you. Maybe they're your buddies and your friends that are on the trip with you. What kind of people do we associate with? What kind of people do we want to be like? And it doesn't necessarily mean that we can be like them 100%. We might not, you know, you you have different personality, different temperaments, different things about us. We can't be 100%. And the idea isn't, oh, let me become a carbon copy of this other person. But truly, consider and think about what kind of people are you allowing to influence who you are? I don't think that's necessarily just people that we know uh, in life, uh, in the flesh. But with, with all the media that we have these days, there's videos, there's movies, there's podcasts. I, I, I know so many people that they, they listen to so many podcasts. I guess I would too if I, if I had a job where I was driving a lot and I could listen to something, I probably would do it too. Um, 
these are companions on our trip. What kind of people do we listen to? What kind of talking heads on the radio do you listen to? What are they saying? Are, are you growing in Christ-likeness because of your time listening to them? Or do you find yourself getting angrier and angrier and the whole world's stupid? And, you know, maybe they're not the good companions. What kind of videos do we watch? What kind of media do we consume? What kind of TV programs do we see? What kind of books do we read? I saw an article recently... Um, and, and it was about hiring people into your organization. And not, I'm not really worried about that, but I still kind of read up on what, well, what are these ideas that they have. And one of the things they were talking about, interview questions that don't have, you know, of, of things that aren't necessarily on the resume. And, and one of them, it was, it was about trying to figure out, is this person a good fit in our culture? And one of the questions was, who are you, what are you reading right now? You know, you can find out a lot about a person by what, what are they reading. Are they reading biographies? Are they reading how-to books? Are they reading fantasy books? And it's not a bad thing either way. But the question is, who or what are you reading? And the idea of, of what influences do you have in your life? Are we similarly and compatible in, our, in this area? Or is this maybe something that you're not going to fit in? Culturally, I thought that was an interesting question. We, we talk about, and as we talk about seeking wise companions to influence you, a lot of times I think we're thinking about the, the human beings in our lives, these, these people. But when I think about my, the, the, the strongest influences in my life, I probably have to go to a lot of different authors, books I've read, different people who have written about different subjects and topics and sometimes just biographies. I'll read a biography and I feel like I know that person, that we're friends. And I'd love to see them on the street sometime and tell them how important they are to me in my life. And they would just say, thanks, okay, get over there please. You know, Just trying to eat my burger here. Thank you. But those are companions too. Who do we, who do we have that influences us? What kind of people are influencing us? Solomon's statement here in 5, 6, and 7 is to seek wise companions. People who are trustworthy witnesses. They're going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you what you need to hear. They're not just going to utter lies. That we would seek people who uh, have knowledge and have understanding. That knowledge seems to be easy to them. That they, they can give you wise advice. But especially, leave the presence of a fool. That, what he's saying there is seek better people to be around. It's okay to cut certain people out of your life because they're just going to bring us down. A foolish person is somebody to, to create some distance between. But Solomon, what he's encouraging us here is how do we, how do we order and structure our lives? You know, get around people that will influence us in the ways we want to be influenced, who will be wise companions for us. Invest in those areas and those things that we want to grow in, that we want to see that benefit. We can't hope to see that benefit unless we are willing to invest in it in some way. But ultimately, ultimately what we are called to do, and, and if we do nothing else but we get this right, we'll do, we'll do all right.
is if we ground our lives in the fear of the Lord. If we live our lives based on what honors God, what pleases God in this. How do I bear the name of Jesus in a way that is pleasing to Jesus, not just to me? How do I live my life in such a way that I honor His sacrifice, that I live out the life He has given me, that I live in the freedom of salvation? Ground our lives in the fear of the Lord. That's that's a decision we all need to make. Probably on a daily basis. How am I going to live my life today for the Lord? That's life building. That's that's what Solomon is calling us to in these first seven verses. Chapter 14. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and Your grace in our lives. Lord, that we read it and we don't necessarily see a change, but we read it and over time we start to grow. Lord, as we think about wise companions that would influence us, we pray that You would be first and foremost on our list. That we would be walking with You. That we would be following Jesus. That we would be living by Your Holy Spirit's power. Lord, may You be our first and foremost companion in our lives. If we have You to walk with and to follow behind, if we order our lives based on fear of You, Lord, and if we invest in our time with You, we know we can grow and be a blessing to ourselves and those around us. Lord, we know that we can't do that without faith in Jesus Christ. That is through His death on the cross and His resurrection that we have hope of life, hope of forgiveness from our sins. Lord, we pray today for anybody who has not made that decision to to walk with Christ, to believe in Him and to seek forgiveness from their sins. Lord, we pray that they would seek today to build their life based on the rock of Jesus. Lord, we pray that they would make the decision in their hearts today to believe in Him, to ask for forgiveness of their sins, and to decide to follow Jesus in their lives. We pray, Lord, that we would make that commitment, make that investment to believe and to grow in You. We pray, Lord, for all of us that we would live our lives in the fear of You. Lord, that we would consider what things do we want to see happen in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our community. Don't let us just keep that manger clean. But Lord, may we invest in a little bit of making a mess so that by the strength of what comes out of that, the work that we can do with it, we can see the harvest. We pray, Lord, that You would guide us as a church. How should we invest what You have given us 
that we might see a greater harvest of faith in Jesus Christ. Growth as disciples. We pray, Lord, that you would guide us into wisdom. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.